Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Almost Famous, the podcast where I explore the subject of fame by talking to people who've experienced it themselves and ask them how it has affected their own journey as well as the lives of those around them. My guest today is comedian and actress Lulu Popplewell. When she was young, Lulu appeared in Love in a Cold Climate on the BBC and played Daisy in Richard Curtis' mega smash film, Love Actually. As a proper grown-up, Lulu's branched out into comedy, making the finals of the Leicester Square New Comedian Award in 2016 and the Chortle Student Comedy Award in 2018, and appearing at the 2019 Edinburgh Fringe with her wonderfully named show, The Humble Bumhole. And on radio, Lulu played the part of Lyra in Radio 4's His Dark Materials trilogy. Lulu is also what I call a pure, almost famous guest, as she is the sister of actress Anna Popperwell, who has appeared in the Chronicles of Narnia series, Mansfield Park, and Girl with a Pearl Earring, amongst many other things. I'd like to give a huge, almost famous welcome to Lulu Popperwell. How are you? Hello, I'm good. I've never been called a proper grown-up before. That was very pleasing. Uh, I like to call everyone a proper grown-up because I'm so not one myself. Yeah. I refuse to admit any grown-up tendencies. Uh, what did you make of your intro? Did I fuck anything up? Did I miss anything out? No, it's very impressive. Um, I think it's, you've listed almost everything I've, I've ever done in 30 seconds, which is somewhat depressing. But um... Well, you're one of our... Uh, many guests I'd say with a Wikipedia page uh, and I had to take a lot off that but that can also lead to lies. Uh, Yeah well my Wikipedia page until a couple years ago was an absolute crock of shit. Someone had written that I'd um, been on tour uh, for Little House on the Prairie and that I was both Emma Watson and Daniel Radcliffe's stunt double so I I don't know who done that. That sounds amazing and there's definitely no chance that it could have been you in a late night frenzy of bollocks writing. No I don't think so because I have to admit I've tried to edit my own Wikipedia page and um, I don't know how so uh, I I, possibly my mum trolling me I don't know (laughs) quite who put that on there. Um, I always ask all my guests I know from all of our conversations before this what the answer is but I have to ask are you famous Lulu Bobberwell? No. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about um the experience you've had being in that massive film, which of course has been seen by everyone. You did, I mean, how old were you for the Love Actually years? Uh, I was 10 or 11, so a long time ago. I'm 29 now, yeah. so um, a really long time ago. Um, do you know what, at the time though, I have to say, I when it was happening, I didn't experience it as that exciting because, uh, I won't go too much into it, but because I, I grew up with siblings in films, mm-hmm. I, at that point, was like, well, yeah, well, we all get to do a film. Like, it you know at 10 I was like well now it's my turn um so so it's totally normal yeah yeah um and I'd sort of I mean like you know the week before I got cast in it I think I'd gone on to a set and met Johnny Depp because of you know knowing some producer because of something my brother was in so I feel like a real shit saying it 
I, I mean, I sound awful now, but at the time I was like, well, yeah, it's, it's my turn to be in a film. No, I don't think that sounds awful at all because obviously as a 10 year old, you don't have any, you know, kids are so brilliant in that they don't have any filters. So it's just the natural feeling of how it was. Um, I mean, I feel like uh, I have to ask how Johnny Depp was. <laughs> Um, I, I well, bitterly disappointed because of all the films I could have met Johnny Depp in, it was his least sexy role when he was in costume. It was um, the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh yeah, uh, he so was not sexy. In not that, sexy true. in that, and he mostly spoke to my brother, which but. um was disappointing. But you know. So um, I will ask a question later about you being an, uh, a pure, almost famous guest and your sister, but so your brother's an actor as well. Uh, my brother was in one film. He was in Peter Pan. Um, oh, so you literally all just did get, you, you definitely just get one, pa- one film. Yeah, everyone gets a go. Um, my sister got several goes. But yeah, so, you know, I, I, at the time, I, I actually found a diary entry recently where I said I got cast in my first film today, which is an incredibly precocious, pretentious thing. But I think, you know, without context when you're little you just assume that's how it is yeah. that's the way it is in your family and looking back at yourself in hindsight then uh, not just with that diary entry in mind would you describe yourself as a precocious child and how did that come out if you were uh i no i mean i think i'm making myself sound more precocious than i was i was um i was weird i was a very weird little child um in what ways um i i don't know i got a uh, I mean, I don't, without making it a mental health podcast, I mean, I was just very anxious and right. lashed out a lot, made lots of like very. I was with all my all my um, school reports saying, "Oh, Lulu clearly thinks differently from mm-hmm. other children." Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, I think my sister was the precocious one, and I was just the oddball. Okay, um, and I wonder then in uh, bringing it back to uh, so you mentioned the casting uh, circumstance for Love Actually and stuff. Do you think? Um, being a little different, as your teachers said, allowed you to be freer in that kind of situation? You didn't care, you didn't feel nervous, you thought you were just gonna get a film because that's what your brother had done, etc. Yeah, absolutely, like I turned up to the audition and uh, I don't think at any point I even read the lines. I just wanted to have a chat with Richard Curtis and ask him about things in his house. Wow, so at your, how many auditions did you, he was in your first audition? I mean, uh, no, I would. I did a I did a BBC thing before that, but, I was, right. but I was going up for auditions all the time and I think, now I'd shit myself, but yeah. as a kid, whatever, there's no stakes. Yeah. And so uh, were you, so you were with a char- with an agency? What? How did it work? You wanted to be an actor or your parents wanted you to be actors? How mm, does that work? No, my parents did not want us to be actors. <laughs> uh, they, um, they sent us to drama club uh, to sort of help with our confidence and public speaking. Um, nice. My parents are not in the industry at all. And it, it completely backfired. And it wasn't one of those, <laughs> like... It backfired with you becoming this person. Yeah, and then suddenly they're like, oh God, we've got to go and chaperone our kids in Australia <laughs> or whatever. Um, but... No, it wasn't, and it wasn't like a Sylvia Young or stagecoach kind of thing. It was an absolute clusterfuck of a drama club where uh, we mostly were just throwing things at the wall and eating biscuits. And um, but one day my sister got cast in something, and the drama teacher said, "Yeah, all right, I'll become an agent." And then she started an agency off the back of that. So, wow! So, yeah. so throwing things at the wall and eating biscuits is the way forward to get people roles. Yeah, absolutely. Don't try too hard. I think is the. <laughs> Wow, and so message. and were there any other uh, alumni from that drama club? Or was it just your family who had the minerals to take it through to the next level? No, uh, there was a kid who was in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. She mm-hmm. played Ruth Salt. There was a boy who was in The Mummy. Oh, um, yeah. So yeah, there was. There, really? I think it's still going. To be honest, I'm not really. That's a good. Out, but... That's a good hit rate. Yeah. Uh, I hope she was taking some kind of cut. I, I believe she was, yeah. Okay. I, I think uh, she looked at the business that's, side of it. That's a relief all around. And um, for a podcast called Almost Famous, I feel it would be remiss of me not to ask what the experience on set of Love Actually was like, what you remember. Is it something you regret? I mean... 
Oh, no, I don't regret it at all. I mean, I look, I softly be it spoken, I think it's a shit film. Right. Um, and is that, can I ask though? Because I feel like everyone has that opinion of Love Actually now, right? But is that, uh, and I feel like your opinion is more valid than most because you were involved. Well. But, um, but I feel like everyone has that. And yet I would describe it as an eminently watchable film. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's. I think it's aged badly. It's aged badly in terms of. Um, relationships and uh yeah all the like women that, in it sure. are sort of passive objects mm. i think that there was a uh, an article that described them as passive objects to be acquired and i on rewatching, it's not great yeah um, i mean i think R- richard curtis has had that thrown at him quite a lot in terms of his films hasn't he yeah but you also have to remember that he was writing in the context of the time i mean i don't know how he excuses more recent bits <laughs> <laughs> of work right. um but you know it was what it was in 2003 or whenever it yeah. was out um, but it's also not for me because I don't like cheese. So right. even I really do like cheese. Like I'm a I'm a rom com crier, so that's okay. why I'm oh, happy. Wow. To, I'm happy to describe it as an eminently watchable film. Because okay. Well, no, and I'm I'm glad people like it because. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I feel like I'm almost playing devil's advocate as well because it's like it seems achingly uncool to suggest <laughs> that maybe I enjoy the film Love Actually, but uh, I think yeah, I mean there are parts of it that. I can No, I mean you're you're allowed to. You're allowed I to. That. Um I permit it. But um But you hate But you it. have terrible taste. I, is, well, is okay, right. But I'll I'll accept that. But but you so you dislike it um and but you didn't have any feeling of that at the time, I assume. No, I mean at the time I was I wasn't even allowed to watch it when it came out because it was a 15. So at the premiere Love or, actually was a 15. Yeah. Uh, there's nipples and everything. I guess there's the bit with um is it is his name Kevin? Uh, played by your man from um, My Family. Chris Marshall. Yeah, Chris Marshall. Is uh, that his name? I can't oh, no, Colin. Colin. His name's well, Colin. Don't act like gets... you're not a super fan. <laughs> doesn't know all the names. Sorry, but Colin with the sexy girls in America. I guess that's a little bit lewd and blue. Well, I'm I surprised think, it's 15. Yeah, I, well, things were sort of, I think, rated differently then as well. But um, I think there's some swears and okay. things like that. So yeah, we didn't even get to watch it at the premiere. We got walked down the red carpet and then taken off to dinner at Planet Hollywood so and I didn't you didn't have a you didn't throw your toys out of the pram about that I feel like if that was me I'd be like I what no I mean I got to go and have fajitas at Planet Hollywood <laughs> I was much more interested in that than going to sit for a film fair enough okay so you didn't get to see it at the premiere but you got to do red carpet and all that stuff and then just going back in terms of what it was like on the set I mean I know you said it felt like it was the norm but also and well no I mean I was excited I was definitely excited I mean most importantly how many days school did you get to miss oh two weeks and okay. it was uh, what bliss yeah. um, and, it, and I remember at school the, the form teacher said to me oh, what, what's the film you're doing and in front of the class I said oh it's got Hugh Grant and Colin Firth and Alan Rickman and she sort of looked at me like I was lying because of the, the cast list you, because obviously say. you must have been lying that's such an unlikely thing to yeah. happen in any school class show and tell yeah and, um, and I could see people looking at me like oh this girl's a dick um but again, I sort of didn't have context then for how much of a dickhead thing it was to sort of list off my the yeah. cast of the thing I was in. Um, but no, when I was on set, I was excited to meet people, but the people I was excited to meet were very weird. So I was really excited to meet Chris Marshall, yeah. actually, because yeah. I loved my family when I was little, because yeah. um, I had no taste developed then. And uh, <laughs> Basically, and you hate the mainstream, is what you're saying. I, uh, well, um, <laughs> it let's let's just be honest about you're not gonna like you're not gonna like mrs brown's boys either i don't think it's 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 for some people and that is nice for them the the end uh but it's um yeah it's so weird i had to get emma thompson who i wasn't phased by at all she led me up to chris marshall holding my hand saying i've got someone who's really excited to meet you and he was like looking around the room at like rowan atkinson and hugh grant and he was like are you me are you sure 
Um, That's nice. Yeah. That's nice from him as well. A bit of self-deprecation. Yeah. And I remember meeting Hugh Grant as well, because um, Richard introduced me to him. And he said, oh, God, do I have to speak to her? I hate children. Um, which Non-ironically. I, non-ironically, which I thought was really funny. Oh, that is funny. That is funny. I mean, he was definitely in his phase of uh, mainly just being a kind of man about town back then. I think yeah. he's, got, he's actually got some children now, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, well, it's, I mean, and then in terms of like, I mean, because you're talking to someone here who's never done a film or I would just be, I think especially at the age of 10, I would be shitting myself about fucking up and stuff like that. Was there any element of that or you just... No, I don't, again, like, I just don't think I, I mean, I, as I say, I was an anxious child, but about quite weird things mm. and stuff that as an adult would be normal, normal to be anxious about. Mm. It just didn't occur to me That's that so I nice. could fuck it up. I think it wasn't until I was 13, 14 that then I sort of started to get nervous about yeah. performing or be, be aware of any of that. Yeah. Also, as a kid on set, you just get treated really nicely. So, because they're aware that they want to get the best result out of you. So, even if you're a tiny part, which I was, yeah. you, you get treated like a little... And was know. the food excellent? The food I can't actually excellent. remember the what? food. I mean, I feel like all I'd think about is how good the food was and stuff. The food on the Narnia set, I remember being very good okay that's important I feel like the food is the most important thing um, and you said you didn't get to watch it at the time do you remember I guess I'm trying to think I'm trying to put myself in your shoes basically as a 10 year old and, and maybe that's what the audience would want to know about as well um, do you remember what it was like going back to school when it had come out and people from your school had seen it and did people change how they um, how they were to you I I think there was gentle ribbing in the years that followed at the time the year it came out i don't think many of my classmates were the right age to be watching because they either. wouldn't have seen it either yeah but it was around sort of 13 14 and everyone you know it's on every bloody christmas um and then i'd get sort of lobster jokes thrown at me yeah. and, and i'd and i'd find it quite embarrassing you were famously dressed in the lobster suit, yes that's right? that's my claim to shame yeah. uh is is being a christmas crustacean um <laughs> and because it, because it was such a small part i didn't quite know how to react to it because yeah. I didn't know whether to do like faux humility or whatever because I did feel genuinely humble like well it was two weeks of work it was mm-hmm. nothing and I got it because you know I was chatty in the audition yeah and then I saw a little bit I'm just kind of I'm jumping forward now a bit but I saw a little bit in a I think a bio of, of your Edinburgh show last year that you would I think you'd written the bio months earlier so you weren't sure exactly what you were going to yeah, do yeah. but you said you might talk about that is it something you've since talked about in your comedy um, I have a bit I have a bit mostly because of the article which I've sent you the BuzzFeed one mm-hmm. um, we'll, get, we'll get there because we'll the, that, that sort of came up but it, I talked about it on stage in the context of uh, feeling a bit weird at school because uh, I always felt like I was uh, doing something a little bit different and a little bit wrong and mm-hmm. how love actually became this thing I, I felt I'd done wrong because people were making fun of me I now realise they you know it was all light hearted but yeah yeah. and I wonder if that's anything to do with so things that we've talked about before in this podcast with people that kind of feeling of um, I mean I guess fame is a strong word I, I mean you will have you will have experienced an element of fame even if it's just in your school or about your friendship circle or whatever mm-hmm. or having watched you know having had to watch that film with people and and people say you know you're in that famous film or whatever but there is an element having spoken to lots of people about fame of an element of shame that comes with that feeling of being out there or putting yourself out there or 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 yeah being on a some kind of pedestal maybe that's what that that was sure and for me as i say like i definitely don't think fame is a word that fits me i'm not famous Mm. but i have experienced it vicariously but yeah people pointing out something you've done 
it's very awkward to react to even something as small fry to yeah. my experience um it's sort of knowing how to arrange your face and how to sound and yeah. make sure you sound grateful that they've noticed but also humble but also like you're proud of yourself it, you, you can't get it right and then having been in a film a huge film so early did you do you think that made you want um success in that kind of industry or the me uh, you know in the tv or film or comedy industry more do you think it led to you wanting to get involved in comedy or do you think you were put off by it um no i absolutely wanted to get into it like i, I wanted to act since i was five like mm. i was the main part of my my school nativity mm -hmm. and i was like right i'm this is for me um but i I sort of gave up on the acting thing because as I say like 13, 14 I became uh, sentient and uh, the anxiety of it was too much and then I started around that age going to the Edinburgh Fringe every summer and I realised that comedy was the thing I, I really loved Right and when did you first do your when, when was your first gig and what got you into it did you do a course or anything like that I did do a course I um, also did like a course a so oh, I, I'm not ashamed of the course What was your course? I did the Amuse Moose course with Logan nice. Murray Oh okay cool uh, love a bit of Jago Hills. Um, yeah. So uh, <laughs> she's a I, whole separate episode. Yeah, it? absolutely. She did um, once tell me I had star quality. It was in the back wow. of a taxi. Well, you are. She'd not. She'd not seen me perform at the time. She was just basing it on what I looked like. Yeah, handsome young white men, very much. I um, think that's. I mean, I appreciate you saying handsome. I think that it was more the fact that I was there. Sure, sure, uh, just present. Purpose, yeah, present white men. Yeah. Um, no, she's a she's an interesting one. But I did the I did the Soho uh, comedy lab thing. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I've been putting off doing comedy for ye like years. Yeah. Uh, basically, from the, the first show I ever saw in Edinburgh, I was like, right, I want to do this. And I was age 13 and then didn't start till I was 25. What um, were you waiting for, do you think? I, uh, uh, for self-confidence, to be honest. And um, I had a bit of a bumpy ride in the middle. Like, as, as I mentioned before, like, I'm in recovery now. So there was all that in the way. Mm -hmm. I wasn't very well at uni. Because I, I went to the university I went to because the comedy was good there. Mm -hmm didn't do a single i didn't get on which uni was that cambridge mm -hmm. uh i believe the university <laughs> i believe the comedy is good there yeah i, I, I hear the footlights do quite well yeah although now i'm quite proud that i didn't do the footlights because everyone it's not true but everyone in the industry seems to think that gives you an automatic yeah there's a backlash at the moment. I, was, yeah. I was reading stuff about that today lots of backlash against that um snobbery I yeah think is which I, I have mixed feelings about because i think it does like obviously it helps but it doesn't it's not like an open door into no. the industry. Still I mean, you still have hard. to be good. You still have to be good, but it is basically what the Footlights provided was lots of gigs and lots of practice time in a safe place for people. So it would have been good to do, but I'm quite proud of myself that I just did it on the open mic circuit. And, yeah. Uh, so you did. So you did your course, and presumably, like most courses, the most important thing about the course is that at the end you have to do a five minute gig, right? Right. But I started gigging from day dot on the course. Oh, smart moves! So, yeah. I wish I'd done that. Yeah, and the day I started, I was like, right, I'm booking in four of these a week, five. Like I was, I wanted to make up for lost time, so okay, I'd done already about like thirty gigs by the time it got to the point of our, oh, our final smart. show. So almost like doing the course and getting up in front of other people gave you suddenly that like yeah i'm driven i'm gonna do it straight away yeah okay really good um i really am jealous of that i wish i'd done that because um i had the standard thing of that showcase gig being like so good because yeah. obviously it's full with your friends and family and whatever and i definitely ca i came off stage just being like i've i've found well, I it i've, I've <laughs> found it yeah. i've nailed it i've completely nailed it and then my second gig which was on 
like the next week at a place called the uh, Malcolm Hardy's Wibbly Wobbly Boat in uh, Oh, you couldn't make in, that like, up. Stratford. It doesn't exist anymore unfortunately, but it was in Stratford before Stratford was nice Stratford. Yeah. It was like dodgy and I remember doing the same set exactly the same way the same performance and literally just being stared at by people yeah. and just being like okay but I... at least you have that first good one to carry you well yeah through, but it just I made think. me think I, well you know and I feel like the first two years at least of me doing stand-up was me just trying to work out how audiences work and how rooms work and what you need to notice and, and... I think I'm still working that out oh I think, <laughs> I think yeah I don't think you ever necessarily work it out but I de- what I really remember is for the first few years just being like, if this starts badly, I do not have the skill to turn it around. Yeah. And that for me is is something I've maybe only learned in the last year because I would get knocked at the beginning and then be like, I've just got to say all the words and get off stage. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, and they, then they smell that as well. Yeah, I don't know if I've said this before, but I did a gig at the comedy store in LA, oh, wow. which was just because I was out living there. And my friend was out there for a week as well. So he, he was in the crowd filming it. It was just an open mic. And um, I was so nervous, I forgot my name. Like, so when I, I got up on stage and said, oh, oh hi, I'm... Um, and then just went, oh, anyway, mate. moved on. And my, after, you know, afterwards, my mate came up to me and went, did you forget your name? Did it, and I was did like, it read yes. as a joke? No, or, no oh. not at all. It read as in, this guy should not be here and it's only going to get worse from here, which is kind of exactly what happened. Um, so you decided, oh, you had an idea early that you wanted to get into comedy and then you have done. Do you have like a, a career path in mind? Do you have goals that you want to achieve? What would they be? Are you willing to tell us? Um, sure. I mean, look, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I haven't broken the back of the industry yet. Um, but I, before lockdown, I did feel like I was starting to get there. I was doing nicer gigs and yeah. um, I, I've tried the, the circuit a bit and it's um i have a lot of respect for people that do it it's just it's not for me so i've, I've worked out by doing that that's right and me. for the for the audience who don't know so you, so basically you mean do you mean uh in terms of doing the club the club clubs? gigs around the country yeah um and it's really and people often talk about circuit comedians in a kind of snobby way and i actually think they are some of the most talented people out there because it's really hard yeah and you've got to have material that all sort of work anywhere whereas i've now started doing more like artsy london gigs which is a bit of a cop-out but yeah. you know i am an artsy london cunt so that's I sort of like... i didn't say yes and it's a cop-out no i i know what you mean there is a difference and I've, I've spoken to other people who've talked about uh even um recently i was talking to a comedian who's like oh i don't do the circuit at all anymore i just do edinburgh and yeah. it's like they just spend a year kind of writing their edinburgh stuff because they know in edinburgh it's a different crowd yeah, and, and i grew up watching comedy in edinburgh that mm. was my annual pilgrimage so that's more my t- like i want to make good edinburgh shows and then i, I want to be on panel shows i want to write stuff i want to oh, act like you know yeah. I want, i'm hoping it will come back together cohesively yeah. and i'll get back on screen as well but um well i have no doubts uh and also <laughs> for the audience I should say i think in terms of the club so def- there are lots of people who do edinburgh but also do the clubs but there are also i'd say or at least there certainly were when i last did stand up which was about five six years ago there were club comics who literally have 20 minutes of material and have been doing that 20 minutes for maybe 20 years. Mm. And it always does really, really well. And they earn, you know, uh, they they live off doing the clubs Friday and Saturday nights. Yeah. And that's how it works. So that they're the kind of like differing types of comics, I think. I yeah. think that's kind of what we're talking about. Um, why did you, can I ask out of interest, why did you stop five or six years ago? Yeah, I mean, it might be worth going into a bit more when we do our, talk about our reviews okay, <laughs> later on. Okay, but okay. um uh, I've actually only recently been able to be honest with myself about why I stopped, which was um, I wasn't writing enough. So over lockdown, I found um, for the, I, I hadn't written anything for years, and over lockdown in terms of jokes, and over lockdown, I find I found like a method 
to write. And I wrote more in the first two weeks of lockdown than I'd written probably in the eight years I was doing stand-up. Okay. I just... Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. A lot can happen in 3 years, like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Suddenly found. What have you it's found? It's only like a method that works for me. Um, I mean, it goes back to something. It's not as simple as this, but it goes back to something I, I heard Gary Delaney on uh, Stuart Goldsmith's podcast years ago. Just say, write for half an hour every day. Write for half an hour every day. And at the time, I remember thinking, I, I, I don't even know where to right, start. Well, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know what topics to talk about. I don't know whatever. And, and for me, the kind of method is more about a way to find topics to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, over lockdown, I wrote for like half an hour every day. And, and that is what's made me think again, I might start going back into it if the comedy circuit ever starts up again well exactly talking about a bygone era exactly um but i but you know um you know it's not right to praise lockdown and covid but without that i wouldn't have uh started writing again so silver lining silver lining but yeah i so i I gave i was doing well you know i was getting paid to do it i'd not done an edinburgh show but i was i was i was okay actually i think i didn't think i was very good but i think i was probably better than i gave myself credit for Mm. but i just wasn't writing new stuff and i ended up you know i had 20 minutes but it was 20 minutes that i kind of garnered together from about eight years of of stuff yeah um so and then that's, you lose love that, for it and then I lost the love for yeah. it and I had a bad gig and then I just never did it again Aww. now before we get on to the important part of our reviews which I'm very excited about um we mentioned your sister briefly and mentioned you being a pure almost famous guest because your sister uh, has done lots of stuff yeah so the only question I really want to ask is um what's it like for you as the sibling of somebody who is I don't know, famous, would you say? Or certainly well-known pu- yeah, in the I mean, public eye? Yeah, I mean, she's famous with a very small F, I think. Because okay. if you say, like, oh, my sister's Anna Popperwell, people don't know her name. Right. But if you say, like, oh, she's the one in Narnia with the big tits and the bow and arrow, they're like, oh, I've seen, yeah, that one. Um, but if you and- saw, if you said it in a, uh, in a, uh, at a dinner of BAFTA or something, or some or full of actors and pretentious, uh, well, in my in my eyes, pretentious actory types, they'd probably know her because they watch all the stuff. Sure, I mean, she. I think she is known within her industry. It's, hard, it's very hard to know how people are seen yeah but and by which people but um 
you know, b- people are vaguely aware of her. A lot of people saw the Narnia film. She's been in, she's been in other stuff that's been quite successful as well. Yeah. Um, she's been, you know, in the three series of American TV show recently. So. Amazing. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I love it to bits, but um, I, I hated her growing up. So I was, I was very jealous of her. Some envy there, yeah. Yeah, very. And like, she was... Um, did that affect your relationship? Yeah, I think it did. I was, uh, she, she was sort of very high achieving. And also, I don't think ever really that interested in acting. It sort of just happened to Ugh, her, which was the worst. Yeah, no, she stole my dream. <laughs> yeah, uh, sneaky bitch. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, like now I'm older, I'm like, well, I want to do comedy, and she's doing her thing, and yeah. you know, it's it's completely fine. But um, have you ever talked to her about about that? How difficult that was for you when you were growing up? And yeah, stuff? quite a few times um, in anger. <laughs> but, um, no, I mean, it was difficult. Um, because it, uh, it's a lot of people stopping us on the street and asking me to take the picture. Mm-hmm. And then there was one year where the uh, the Oxford Street Christmas lights were Narnia sponsored and there was her face up yeah. above Topshop and I just thought, oh, fuck this. Like, um, that was my... too much. That was, the, that was the last straw. Yeah. And, I, it's you know, again, very childish because at the time I was like, she's done nothing to deserve this. But... <laughs> Like, what does that mean? Like, yeah, it's very a very honest appraisal of of how it feels to be the sibling of someone famous. Though, yeah, and I, particularly if you have similar ambitions. I think yeah, if you've got exactly. your own path already, then that's fine. But I wonder if it comes back to though what you were saying about how you felt going into that audition for Love Actually when you were a kid, which was like you didn't give a shit. You just thought, you know, you, you were laid back. You didn't care. Yeah. And then you said about her, you know, she's not that bothered about it. It probably does subconsciously come across in like auditions and stuff. That kind of lack of it's like um. It's like when you, you know, when you've gone on a date with someone and you really fancy them and you text them six times without them yeah, replying. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like the whiff of desperation. Now, I'm not suggesting that you have the whiff of desperation in auditions or whatever, but that probably it comes across more. If she if she genuinely doesn't give that much of, or doesn't feel that strongly for it, then it probably relaxes her, I guess. Yeah, I mean, as she got older, I think she was like, oh, I want this to be my career. And she did, she did care very much. But um, yeah, you might be right. There might be something in that. I... Uh... I, I, I honestly though she was she was far too perfect for her own good like she was like head girl mm. lacrosse team leading all the school plays like you know that kind of bitch you just want to slap yeah um, yeah I think I'm gonna get one of those emails saying don't put that in no you know I've, I mean I've said it on other podcasts um, <laughs> okay I, good I, I love her I love I'm her not cutting bit. that out then love it a bit but um, I'm the fun one it's... I think we all feel we all feel about our siblings like we want to give them a good slap every so often anyway. yeah that's, yeah lovingly that's what it's all about um, okay so uh, a big part of this series of almost famous something I wanted to bring in is the idea of, uh, and it, com- it comes from the fact that in most interviews I've done so far with people, I ask, I've asked what the worst thing about being in the public eye or being famous is, and they've all talked about being negatively written about by the press or, mm. or lied about in the press. Mm. Um, so I wanted to uh, open that out and get all of my guests to bring something with them where uh, it's an example of something that, that kind of has affected the motivation involved in being a creative person because it's a, a, a negative uh, in this case, a review. But um, before we get on to the review, you also brilliantly, and as you mentioned before, um, sent me this BuzzFeed article. Mm. Uh, and the BuzzFeed article ranks all 50 characters in the film Love Actually from 50 down to one. Now, your character, Daisy, comes in at number 49. Yeah, so crucially not last. Crucially not last. Um, and your part of the article just says this, 49, Daisy, Karen's daughter, boring and sad. Boring and sad. It's so dabbing. I guess the only question that's worth asking based on that, because that's obviously just silly, is, is there an element of, 
in- instinct that you can't stop yourself from taking that person and being like, that's almost, uh, you know, you're, they're, tell- they're, they're, they're saying that about you rather than your character. I So luckily this came out at a time when I, I'd started doing comedy and I was able to laugh at myself and it was like, my partner at the time put it up as his profile picture because he thought it was so funny. Brilliant. Um, the one thing about- Partner it, of the time, I noticed that. Yeah, oh no. The next he, day it was over. Yeah, he's long, long, he's dead. Uh, and and uh, rightly so. Uh, he, um, he pointed it out to me and- the only reason it feels personal, like it's about me rather than the characters, is the lobsters as a group are somewhere else on the list, much higher up. So oh. I've been singled out <laughs> as boring and sad. Um, but no, it, it, that was just funny. That was just a sort of yeah, a silly thing. And for context, as you said, uh, it's worth saying Lulu was only ahead of the character Harry, played by Alan Rickman, who came in at 50. The article said this about him. No disrespect to the dead. Oh, Alan Rickman famously is, I mean, is dead, I mean, really is the height of journalism. Yeah, it? no disrespect to the dead, but Harry was the fucking worst. His <laughs> wife is cool as hell and he still tries to fuck with Mia. God, fuck this dude. Yeah. Um, so probably, yeah, like you said, more of a, uh, an explanation of what BuzzFeed is like, really. Yeah. than, than it's, what it... it's one 21-year-old's opinion of a, of a not very good Ooh, film. I, I wonder... think I can live with it. Yeah, and I think, if, I think by saying 21, you're probably doing the intern at BuzzFeed a favour, probably more like 16, yeah, 17. Likely. Um, okay, so moving on to what you also sent me, which is, uh, like we mentioned in the intro, you got to the final of the Les Square Theatre New Comedian of the Year. Quite a well-respected new act competition. I wanted to talk a bit before actually doing the review for the audience how important new act competitions can be for comedians just starting out. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly remember seeing them as like a rite of passage and, des- and desperately, desperately wanting to do well in them. Mm. Um, is that something you felt as well? I do. And I mean, now I wouldn't touch competitions with a barge pole. I think they, it got to the point that they started to destroy my soul and love of comedy. But at the beginning, there are no obvious routes into the industry and it's one of the few things that's like a structured thing you can do at the start yeah. to... Um, you know move up the ladder yeah, the invisible ladder. um so i did i did all of them for the first couple of years yeah um and yeah like i said uh, the leicester square one is pretty highly sought uh, thought of sorry not sought after um this review is by julia chamberlain for chortle uh, it's from <laughs> november 2016 lulu i'm going to read it uh, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. I should say, uh, you're already uh, sighing uncomfortably. Uh, that's I not... hadn't read it. I read it once when it came out. And then I sent. I read it again when I sent it to you a couple of yeah. days ago. And it hurt my bum hole. But, um, <laughs> and so, um, that won't be better well, now, uh, but off you go. <laughs> to, to make you and the audience feel, although you already know this, to make the audience feel less uncomfortable about this, uh, we will then afterwards also read a review of mine okay. from a, a competition final Great. as we'll well. Level we'll, we'll level the playing field. So here is uh, uh, Lulu's review. By Julia Chamberlain, who's known for being a bit of an asshole reviewer, I have to say. Oh no, we love Julia. Well, I don't know her Actually, personally. Actually, no, fuck it, she, does, she doesn't book anything anymore, fuck her. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know her personally at all. I just know that from back in the day, I remember her seeing, being, seeing some assholic reviews that she wrote. Not mm. the worst reviewer, mm-hmm. but up there. Okay, here we go. An achingly vulnerable character obsessed with scurvy, being abandoned by men and ending up in the friend zone, Lulu Popplewell's particular offering engendered more sympathy then hilarity. The character may work better by cumulative effect. I could see her appearances punctuating a sketch show, commentating from her very very particular view of the world, but in a five-minute slot in a comedy competition, she got a bit lost. Okay. Uh... I feel like it's worth asking what did you how did you feel the night went before you saw that terrible, review? really bad but okay. um, for context i was really new when i did it i was by yeah. far the newest like actor in the bill. one of them one of the girls in the bill had just been touring with Catherine ryan um other people i knew were getting spots at the store like i was this was my, my 
40th gig mm-hmm. i was you know i was a baby and i went into that competition being like well i might get for, past the first heat and that'll be good for myself yeah, how many heats were there it's worth telling the audience um, how many how many different gigs do you have to do to get to the final i think final is the fifth amazing um so and, and it's not like I, so look, they've sorted out the wheat from the chaff by yeah, that point yeah but it was it was a bit rogue that i got through and mm-hmm. lucky and um i think david who ran it just sort of very kindly saw something in me and I go back now and I MC those, those yeah those why do you things, why but... do you say rogue and lucky then is that just you being down on yourself because it doesn't sound like there's no, anything lucky I, at all to well it. competitions are the opinion of a few people and I and I had to be reminded that when I didn't get through them right and um it depends what they're looking for it depends who else is in your heat it depends how like the audience are feeling on the day the position you get picked to go in so you know there's a lot of factors at play and um and i was i was so i was so new i'd only done like open mic yeah. pub gigs and suddenly i was at Leicester square theater with you know yeah, four, hundred, 400 people 400 people richard herring was comparing Amazing. and i was on 10th so i was i had yes. too much time to get in my head no, about I it saw, so i've read the whole review i was going to read the whole review for context as well but it was just too long but yeah i should say lulu was on 10th and, and something that i really know from those things is people get bored like mm. people do get bored and then also i think what you're about to say is you get a lot of time to think about it and also i mean this may not happen to everyone but it certainly happens to me or used to happen to me i would watch the other people go on and if it went really well for them, especially if it went really well for them just before I went yeah, on, yeah. then I was I was already dying in my head. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I'd already put it down. On, I've got no chance. I, I mean, it's what you were saying earlier when you if it goes wrong at the beginning, like you forgot your name and you just can't turn it around. And I did not have the skills then to do that. And I basically I went up and the mic got stuck in the stand and I couldn't get it out. And I didn't make. I, didn't I make can it, feel it in my stomach. Yeah, it, I can feel the anxiety yeah, in my stomach. Yeah, my 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 bum hole. She hurts. And like it. <laughs> I didn't make a joke about it. I didn't make anyone feel comfortable. And then I was also doing material that was very self-deprecating and probably would work better now because I'm confident on stage. But if you're not confident and you're doing material that's down on yourself and a bit weird, it just comes across as like, well, she said it engenders more sympathy than hilarity, yeah. which as you were saying it, I realise is another way of saying boring and sad. <laughs> so <laughs> so well, across the board. So... Um, I think what's interesting to ask here is because this is what happened to me as well. I didn't really read my review that I'm going to go into um, for years. I think I only read it once when I first saw it and then literally didn't read it again until I brought mm. it back out for this podcast a few weeks ago, right? Or I'm when I first looked at it and thought, I hope there's an opportunity to bring this out. Um, so, what I would say, because the reason I'm saying that is what I would say about yours that I also felt with mine when I reread it is actually there's a lot of positive there. But I bet when you first read it, or when you hear it, you don't hear any of that positive. No. It's... So all the stuff about seeing you in a sketch show, that's real positive. That's a real, like, I could see this person being successful enough to be on television. Or yeah, to I be can, on a... it's selective hearing, maybe. Yeah, but I But I chose to think, oh, God, she's trying to find something nice to say because she feels sorry right. for me. Thought or... she was doing a shit sandwich. Yeah. But, okay. um, you know, maybe it is selective hearing. But I think also it's because I knew how upset I was with the gig at the time. Right. And after I read that review, I told you that like, I was doing comedy like four or five nights a week. I really wanted to do it. I didn't gig for a month after that because yeah. I was so knocked by it. No, that's a really common thing for the audience who haven't done stand-up before. It's like, it's very, very difficult to get back on the horse after mm. you've had a, a terrible gig. Um, I mean, I've, I, back in my early days where I didn't know how to drag it back, I've been, um, I was dragged off the stage by the MC twice. <laughs> Sorry, I was drinking water. No, that's, that's why I made fine. that noise. No, no, that's absolutely fine. Um, it was really, it was really what, the right noise to what make. What had you done? Um, well, the first time, 
uh, I feel like wasn't all my fault. So the first, and I think I may have even regaled this audience with this before, but it, it it's it was uh, there's a very famous or there was a very famous gig in at the Thistle Hotel in Leicester Square run by the guy who I can't remember his name now, but he got arre- he almost got, I think he got arrested. But basically, he would flyer Leicester Square with pictures of like Michael McIntyre and Stuart mm-hmm. Lee on the front of the flyer saying "gig here." Yeah, and then when inevitably tourists only tourists from other yeah. countries would come down and pay 15 pounds for a ticket yeah. it would just be eight open micers not being paid doing five minutes each yeah right? oh, it's like well, have you seen crashing with pete holmes no i haven't it's incredible you should definitely watch it. it's amazing but it's it, the whole thing they have there is they fly a you know with like uh, kevin hart and people yeah. say oh does he play in it's like well he's played in, in yes in this, in this area. city yeah, yeah exactly so it's exactly yeah that might even be based on that and then what happened was all of our all of the eight open micers were dragged into the kitchen of this hotel and the MC guy said, here are the things you're not allowed to talk about. You're not allowed to talk about the ticket price. You're not allowed to talk about the fact the audience are all foreign. You're not allowed to talk about the fact that you're not being paid. You're not allowed to talk about the fact that um, the flyers are with famous people on whatever. And okay. it was like red rag to a bull. So yeah. I went up pretty early and just said, here are the things I'm not allowed to talk <laughs> about. And he dragged me off stage. And then we almost had a fisty, okay. fisty fight in the back. Amazing. And then the second one was in... Um, Oh, and, here, and here's an example of the things you have to learn as well. The second one was on Broadway Market mm-hmm. downstairs in the summer, I think, of a very hot bar. But but the thing you, you kind of learn is hipster East London and hipster East Londoners do not want to laugh at comedy. It's oh, just no, not no. a thing. They're too cool. Yeah. And, and I started and on... might be offensive Well, somehow, especially, probably so. especially now. But back then, I don't know if it was an offensive thing, but it was just like they didn't want to be there and they didn't want to laugh. And I was, I was deciding that the way to deal with that was to call them out on it. Mm. And I think I may have even ended up calling out the MC who was just sat in the audience at the time saying, what's your problem kind of thing. So I got dragged off there anyway. Yes. Um, so you said it, so you didn't get back on stage for about a month. Uh, did you, do you feel like you learned anything from it? Do you feel like in hindsight, there was truth to it, the review? Um, absolutely. I think that like, basically the review is saying, she just seemed incredibly vulnerable and we weren't comfortable with that. Mm. And I, and I, and you felt that and I wasn't incredibly vulnerable, I wasn't comfortable with it. But it, um, it taught me that I couldn't, as I say, I couldn't do really self-deprecating stuff until the audience knew that I was actually comfortable saying it and then it was a persona rather than yeah. someone bleeding all over the stage. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was helpful, but um, quite a tough love kind of way. Well, thank you so much for bringing it with you. I appreciate that. Here to level it up is mine. Uh, it's from the, uh, I did the Comedy Cafe New Act of the Year final, 2011. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I think, I think to get in that you had to have won I guess you you had to have won the Comedy Cafe New Act Night, which was every Wednesday, mm-hmm. which I had done. And then I guess, because presumably there were f- at least 50 winners of that, presumably then you were picked. I guess you had a one in five chance, mm-hmm. I guess. I don't know. And this is by Steve Bennett, who I think it's fair to say people would say is probably one of the cuntiest reviewers of all. I mean, I am yet to do my Edinburgh debut show. So uh, for just for the record, um, Steve Bennett is a wonderful man <laughs> and um, has excellent taste. And, Steve uh, Bennett. Review. So I got to the semi-final of the BBC New Comedy Competition, I think that year as well, actually. And Steve Bennett was the judge. Oh, ju- I did that as well. Steve Bennett was the judge. <laughs> of my of my heat in Belfast bizarrely I had to go to Belfast because there wasn't space anywhere else and I was runner up to Andrew Ryan that night mm-hmm. and we were in the bar afterwards and I was obviously buzzing like I'd gone a long way it's quite a prestigious thing absolutely buzzing I'd never met Steve Bennett and I went up to him and oh nice to meet you and he was very very dour and then I said um and this is fucking naive of me of course it is but I was buzzing like I said so I couldn't stop myself I was like oh so you know you know, you've been the judge for all of these heats. What's, you know, what was it like tonight? What was the standard like compared to everyone else? And he's like, poor. 
Yeah, I mean, he, I heard him saying that about my friends here when I was. But I think it's, I think it's difficult for Steve because he, he's around these comedians all the time. They all kind of want something out of him, so he's Do got we, lots of well. People. I mean, they they don't want to piss him off because he holds he holds he cards. Holds, he holds the keys and, a little um, bit, and so he's sort of got these people that aren't quite, maybe probably aren't quite friends, but treat yeah. him as friends. So I think I think it is. Edit, I have some sympathy for him. You're very nice. You're very kind. But I also um, do. I'm saying this because I want him to. No, and, and right, so, I mean, I also saw they've released on Chortle this week some. Um, old uh, reviews that they did of people like McIntyre and everyone and that were really bad. That they got wrong, yeah. And so, so it's worth us saying, I think the key to these things is bouncing back from them. Anyway, here is my review. Barnaby Slater hinted at something interesting <laughs> by immediately bringing up the subject of his girlfriend being pregnant by another man. I've been desperately trying to remember what that joke was. I really cannot remember <laughs> at all. But ideas that he'd reveal much more about himself are immediately dashed as he plunged into a morass of abortion and paedophile jokes that have long lost their ability to shock especially when written with such apparent cold calculation as this. There's a nice bit of structure to the set and the occasional good line, but smugly adding, you're right, that is a very funny joke, after a modest laugh, does nothing to boost the likability of this cynical act. Oh. <laughs> oh. So. How does that make you feel? Yeah, well, so, like I said, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm in a cold sweat having just read it, uh, but it is hot. Um, but like I said, well. well, it is, but like I said, well, uh, do you know what? I uh, I do write in a way, the way that I would describe my writing is I start it in truth and then it meanders off into now what some people would call dark territories. Mm-hmm. Some people don't like the word dark. I'm not sure how I feel about it. But certainly um, shock value, I think, is mm-hmm. a fair part of what makes me laugh. I like comedians who shock. Yeah. And uh, those kind of jokes make me laugh and are naturally how I write. I spent loads of time while doing comedy trying to write in a different way. Mm-hmm wanting to be a more observational comic wishing i was able to write in a whimsical way but that's the way i write and actually you know that i got to that final i'd got to another final i'd been doing quite well i was getting paid gigs just not everybody likes what you do that's no, never going to be the way it is it's but, a, but, a but something that stands well, out then, and that makes you laugh yeah exactly but at the time absolutely i didn't see that mm. and I just saw all the negatives I didn't see any of the stuff about structure yeah. um, and I wanted like you said I wanted him to give me a good review and I was devastated about it and mm-hmm. definitely it really set me back and I just you know like I said I, I just thought I need to try and write in a different way and I need to um, it doesn't matter I, I would say to myself it doesn't matter that people are laughing in the room mm. What matters is that Steve Bennett says it's yeah, not the and, right comedy and, to do. And we do give a lot of power to these people. And as, it's the same thing with competition judges uh, as well as critics. That they, Yes, they know a lot about comedy, but they still have subjective opinions and yeah. tastes. And you can't please everyone with it. No, of course. And also, obviously, you have to always tell yourself how desperate they must have been to be comedians as well and just cut and just Sure, do if, it. You're, if you're having one of those days. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, I like that he said it was a, the jokes about... Uh, what was it rape and paedophilia abortion and paedophile jokes were cold and calculated i mean as opposed to like what with 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 field (laughs) research i mean it's not like from you know well i think basically what was happening back then is i'd i'd realized that to um to deliver the jokes i was writing i had to be incredibly high status Mm -hmm. and just be totally ice cold about it Mm. and that's how i was uh like you discussed with your stuff before, I think if I'd tried, if I'd given any kind of semblance of a self-deprecating demeanor while delivering that material, it would have just been completely confusing as a persona. So um, no, that side of it is fair. I think there's, you know, there's a lot of fair about it and the joke probably just weren't 
that cleverly written at the time yeah. as well. But the problem is they are new act competitions. There and is when that. you and they can't review them by giving lots of lovely caveats. But equally, I worry that people reading finding that review of me out of context. I really want to say, oh, but I'd only done 40 gigs and I didn't know what I was yeah. doing. Yet. And, you know, but... Th- you can't explain it away. No. You can't explain no. it away. Um, Lulu, it's been an amazing chat. Thank you so much. I'm going to ask you the question I ask everyone at the end. Um, and I guess we'll have to base this on, on your... Uh, as, how did you describe it? Your, your little your little, your little piece of fame from when you were younger, I guess. I don't know. The final question I always ask is, knowing all that it entails and with the benefit of hindsight, would you give up your experience of being in the public eye? If you had the chance, you'd have exactly the same life, but you'd just never have been in love, actually, I think, is the, the question. No, I wouldn't. I, you wouldn't change I'm, it? I'm, I'm comfortable with it now, and it's a part of me, and um, hopefully it will help me get an agent someday. Well, exactly, and it breeds material. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Now, is there anything you'd like to plug? Where can the audience find your work or see you back, imagining COVID ever ends? Yeah, I mean, in the future, if there are gigs again, uh, all my all the stuff I'm doing is on my Twitter, so which is at Lulu underscore Popplewell. Um, are you an Insta person? Are you I'm on not, that? No, my dog's on Instagram, but I'm not. <laughs> well, plug your dog's Instagram. Um, okay, so my dog is at Dottie the Multipoo. Uh, she's very sweet and um, she's got a, a reasonable number of followers. So. Okay. More than you? <laughs> um, well, I'm none for me. I don't even well, know more, more than you on Twitter, though? No, not quite. Okay, but well, that's a relief, <laughs> but the Multipoo will get there eventually. Uh, guys, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Almost Famous. Please do press the subscribe button, rate the podcast, leave us a comment too. Find us on Instagram at Almost Famous the Podcast and on Twitter at Pod Almost Famous. And also check out my new podcast called It's Your Funeral. Uh, a slightly more lighthearted look at uh, the most important day of my individual guests' afterlives. Check that out and thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Or hear from you next time. Or you'll hear from us next time. That doesn't make any sense. Next time. Bye. <laughs>